Welcome to UBP's Investment Outlook 2024. This series of six episodes will explore UBP's key convictions for the upcoming year. We will be covering topics such as the economic environment, our main plays, as well as a specific risk. I'm your host, Robert Wibberley from UBP's Group Communications. In this episode, the first looking at investment opportunities. We are going to start with a high-level view across asset classes before taking a closer look at the equity opportunity set. For this episode, I am joined by Nicola Laroche, UBP's Global Head of Advisory and Asset Allocation. Morning, Nicola. Good morning, Robert. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. As a starter, and to set the scene, our investment outlook is titled Back to the Future. What are we referring to here? Well, obviously, we're referring to the famous movie of the 1980s and the macro situation uh, at this period of time. Uh, at the start of the 1980s, we had elevated inflation, around 13% in the US. We had the Fed fighting inflation and raising rates to 20%. And obviously, it created uh, some pressure on the economy, which was slowing down. And we see a lot of similarities to the current environment we're having today. Okay. And so, so if we go back to the 80s. That was a period of high inflation, raising interest rates at the beginning, and an economy that was slowing. But then this was followed by a bull market. Is this what we're expecting this time round? Not really. Uh, the, there, the situation is really different. Uh, we're, we're at the start of the 1980s, uh, actually, valuations were extremely low following a last decade on equities. The PE of the S&P was around 7.5, eight times earnings which is totally different with the current uh, levels of today, where US equities are trading in the 18 times um, level. So they're trading twice as high as they were before. Absolutely. Actually, the, over the last 15 years, US equity now had a, a very strong and significant bull market, uh, while in the 1980s, uh, again, equities traded sideways for the, the previous 10 years. Uh, so the situation is really different on equities. Well, we see similarities is more the expected returns on uh, fixed income, which were also significant at the start of the 80s. Uh, and that's where we see value right now. When you say they were significant in the 80s, you mean of what? 1982's investment grade uh, had the best return ever for fixed income. The investment grade um, segment returned 36% in 1982 because the Fed started to lower rates. When the Fed raised rates, 20%, then obviously it slowed down the economy and they adjusted rates lower as inflation was declining. And so it really created a lot of opportunities for investors on the bond market. So, so given this outlook, you are positive on the fixed income asset class. So what does this mean? How should we position ourselves across asset classes for 2024? Well, our scenario is that the US economy will avoid a recession next year. But without uh, having a recession, inflation will continue to stabilize, to normalize, and to decline, which will give a bit of capacity for the Federal Reserve to adjust interest rates in the second half of the year. What do you mean by adjusting? Um, do you mean by lowering? Exactly. We think the Fed will have the capacity to, uh, to cut interest rates by 75 BPs in the second half, um, just to uh, not to be too restrictive too long. Uh, we do not think the Fed wants to create a recession. Uh, and as inflation slows down, real rates have to adjust. And so 
clearly the Fed, we think, will cut rates in H2. Okay. So, so if we look at the fixed income asset class, for the last couple of years, the best performer has been leaving your money in cash. Do you think this is going to continue in 2024 or other other areas of the fixed income asset class we should be looking at? Well, uh, obviously, there is a bit of fatigue on the, on, the, on the bond market after two years of negative returns. We think, actually, uh, um, next year will be the year where the asset class rebounds. Um, in this scenario that we do not have a recession, that inflation continues to normalize and the Fed uh, adjusts interest rates lower, actually, one of the best asset class to own next year will be fixed income and especially uh, the short end of the curve. We are really positive on the three to five years area in safe bonds like investment grades. Um, as you will have a, an important carry in these bonds, like the cash deposit around 5%. But on top of that, you will probably have capital gains. So the expected return for investment grade next year might be almost double digit. We expect 8 to 10% returns next year with a volatility of 3.5%. So risk adjusted, it's probably the best area to invest for next year. And just to be clear, when we're talking about investment grade, we're talking sovereign or creditor or both. So we're really talking about uh, creditors because you have a bit of pickup versus the suffering. So you have a bit of higher carry on these bonds. Okay, understood. So if that's 8 to 10% return on fixed income, that's much higher than cash. Right. It's, uh, and it's one of the main messages we would like to give to our clients who continue to sit on cash. Um, being on cash, obviously, is very safe. The returns are attractive. But there is no way you can uh, recuperate the losses of 2021-2022 uh, on, uh, on the bond market. Um, the only way to recuperate these losses is to extend a little bit duration from cash to the three to five year area, where basically you can have the same level of uh, coupon and deposit plus the capital gains once the, when the Fed uh, will adjust interest rates. And the three to five year, that's still short term. Yes, it's the forest, it's the sweet spot. We will not go uh, too long in terms of duration. We don't think there is a lot of value uh, going longer on the 10-year. Uh, there are obviously this financing, financing risk in the US um, with uh, elevated, uh, elevated deficits and debt. So there will con be continued pressure on the 10-year rate. So we prefer, we think, adjusted of volatility, the returns will be better on the, on the short end of the curve. So... I'd like to now turn our attentions to equities. Uh, we are, from my understanding, we're slightly less positive on equities for 2024 than we are on the fixed income asset class. But what are you positive on? Um, what are your convictions for equity? Well, um, obviously the view is moderately positive on equities. One of the, uh, of the main reason is that obviously we have alternatives to equities. Over the last 10 years when rates were at zero, there was no alternative to equities, and equities actually uh, offered decent return without having actually a lot of earning growth. So the valuation of the overall market expanded. Now with alternatives clearly on the table, offering similar returns than equities, and given the valuations that we are right now, the returns we are expecting maybe 10% returns on equities for, for next year, uh, but with a much higher volatility. So when we compare returns between fixed income and equities, obviously uh, fixed income stand, is standing out. But that doesn't mean uh, investors should um, actually uh, skip equities. It remains a very 
interesting asset class for the medium to long term, and there are opportunities uh, in the uh, in this segment. So you mentioned within equities that we're looking at ten percent, um, but given that markets can move quite a lot, if we talk about the S and P, what level are you expecting? Well, we think the fair value of the S and P for the end of next year is between forty six to forty seven hundred. Um, and that's given a 10% earnings growth in 2024. That's very consensual right now, having 10 to 12% uh, earnings growth in 2024. But we think the, the consensus is reasonable. After two years of moderate earnings overall on the S&P, uh, and given that we are not forecasting a recession next year, companies will continue to be okay next year and will be able to deliver this 10% uh, earnings growth. Having the same multiple for us uh, in terms of valuation, that implies uh, this level of 46 to 4700. So we will adjust our risk within equities depending the levels around this level. When we will have correction, we will add, add on to risk. And when we'll go above this level, basically, that will be clearly uh, levels to reduce and to be more cautious during the year. And, and here we're obviously talking about the S&P, um, but do we have a preference? country region-wide for equities? Um, should we be looking at the US or should we be looking in other places around the world? Well, we always have a tendency to prefer the US market. That's where the quality you can find the quality in terms of companies. You have more innovation, you have more growth, you have more um, visibility on earnings. So US will always be our preferred market in terms of investment. Sorry, so, so the US is staying our preferred market. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But that doesn't mean that we need to be 100% exposed to, uh, to the US. Obviously, we are looking at uh, other regions. Um, we do prefer Japan over Europe uh, for multiple reasons. Clearly, the investment case on Japan uh, has, has improved over the, the, the recent years and will continue to improve. Uh, there has been clearly uh, macro um, tailwinds with the reflationary environment in Japan that is clearly benefiting the, the, the economy, but also on the corporate level, a lot of changes over the past few years will improve, um, I would say, corporate governance. That is not just storytelling. There are concrete examples of conglomerates that have changed their corporate governance, and it has a significant impact in terms of shareholder returns. Um, the way management now get compensations in terms of stock-based compensation the way they allocate capital in terms of buybacks and dividends uh, clearly favors. Uh, it, it's been a big change, actually, and we think that continue and that will be earnings creative. And what about the emerging markets? Well, emerging markets, it's, uh, we are neutral uh, on, the, uh, on the segment of the markets, um, even though it's clearly cheap at the moment. Uh, obviously, China is a big weight in the emerging market allocation, and China has been disappointing uh, over the last uh, the last few years. We think it's too early to come back on China aggressively. It will take time to restore credibility. Because of this, uh, of the situation in China over the last three years, the attention is shifting to other emerging markets. And it is true that um, the outlook for India, as example, which looks immune to these geopolitical tensions um, and now is the most populated country in the world, creates a lot of interests and probably inside the emerging market, we need to be more diversified, meaning that diversifying out of China to diversify typically in countries such as India. Okay, well, that seems clear. So we've covered the regional aspect. Um, now looking at sectorial, 
What are your key convictions for, for 2024? Technology remains a core holding and the must own sector in, the, in any portfolio. Um, it is true that this year tech outperformed massively because of these seven large tech companies. Uh, we think next year, actually, the, the exposure to technology will need to be expanded uh, to the software area, which is a bit more mid-cap companies. Um, but with this scenario that the Fed will have the capacity to adjust interest rates and cut interest rates, all this software space, which is more mid-cap, which is less profitable than the large-cap companies, actually will have uh, will see a, a very important uh, relief rally uh, on the front. And fundamentally, the sector remains uh, remains very attractive. When we look at the valuation of the software, the U.S. software market, actually, there has been a bubble in 2020-2021. This bubble has totally collapsed. Uh, now we have reached really averaged valuation when we look at charts over 10, 20 years. Just to give some numbers, um, the price-to-sell ratio of the software sector in the U.S., the historical average is around 8.5 times. During COVID, it jumped to 20 times. That was a bubble. Now we are below the historical average. It's doing at 7.2 times. So I would say that the excesses have been cleaned uh, in terms of uh, valuation. And then when we just purely look at the gross expectation of the sector, actually we see an acceleration coming. Obviously, there were also um, a lot of demands during COVID in terms of uh, software and so on which had then the base effect for this year was a bit difficult. So we saw a bit of slowdown in terms of growth. But we see on the bottom of level, many companies seeing accelerating growth, increasing guidance. Uh, actually, we have even seen in the cloud, Azure, uh, the top line growth starting to accelerate. And that's very encouraging. When you see growth starting to accelerate, when valuation have normalized below historical average, and the Fed in this scenario will have the capacity to cut interest rates, we think that it's, it's going to be a top performer next year. So software is one sector. Do you have views on any other sectors? Um, I would be tempted to say no. Um, the, the, the tech sector really offers the best visibility. Uh, we see that in other sectors like healthcare, where we used to have innovation, uh, actually uh, it's, the visibility is not, uh, is not the same. And other sectors are much more cyclical. The, the way we will approach equities next year will be like the co-holdings, not trying to be tactical with software tech and Japan, but to differentiate also some tactical um, moves during the year where we can probably go on more cyclical sectors. One of the impacts of the higher interest rates environment is just that there is more volatility uh, on, on equities. That's a fact, um, which means that we need to change the approach to equities. If you think at the last 15 years, equities were a buy and hold asset class. Now we have to change this to be a little bit more tactical. So what we call the tactical asset allocation will grow in importance next year. Uh, and we have to change and to adapt to this environment. Let's so talk about the volatility. Is there any way we can hedge ourselves against this volatility in the equity market. We'll not necessarily try to hedge against higher volatility, but actually to, 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 to benefit and to use the opportunities uh, that volatility can offer. Typically, structured products will benefit from a higher volatility regime, um, and we can find a lot of solutions actually to offer similar returns than equities, but again, with a much lower volatility. We can build portfolios 
selling volatility on good companies, blue chips, and expecting a 10% return for next year, but with only 3% volatility. So that's also a very interesting and very attractive substitute to equities for next year. Now, if we just look at the risks towards our outlook in 2024, we cover in a separate podcast the risk of Donald Trump being re-elected mm. and what that could mean for the economy. What other risks should we be taking into account? Well, we see, we see two risks uh, in our scenario. Uh, the first one, obviously, is the US economy shifting to recession faster than anyone could expect. And this is not our scenario. We think the US economy will be resilient. In case that the lagging effect of higher interest rates um, is longer than expected, and we see actually um, refinancing risk in the economy uh, and the consumer fatigue uh, into, into next year, um, obviously that would be an headache for equities in the short term. Given our scenario and our overweight rating and the view on fixed income, actually such a macro situation would not be dramatic for our asset allocation because in this scenario, the Fed will have to adjust even faster interest rates, meaning that the capital gains on bonds and especially on safe bonds like investment grade will be even higher. So it's uh, this scenario, we are pretty much uh, comfortable with it. Obviously, a second risk uh, would be to see higher energy prices in 2024. In this scenario, uh, if we were to have an overshooting on oil prices, that would question uh, our scenario of declining inflation and the Fed to adjust interest rates slower. And obviously, the best way to be edged against this scenario is to have some exposure into the energy sector. Uh, which would outperform the rest of the market. Uh, and, and what could cause an overshooting of the oil market? Well, we know that the supply demand is pretty tight on, the, on energy prices. The demand has been much more resilient than anyone could have expected over the last few years. Uh, in the U.S. economy, actually, the U.S. demand is already back to the pre-COVID uh, levels. There has been huge underinvestments over the last 10 years. In terms, of, uh, in terms of investments in the oil industry. And so there is always this risk to see this tight market at the moment. Um, for, with all the geopolitical tensions that we see around the world in a region which is a large producer uh, of energy, that could create a bit of tensions. At the moment, the situation looks stable and we have not implemented any edge against this risk. Okay. I know we're going to be covering Trump in a separate podcast. But if Trump is elected, equities up or down? would say up, but with a lot of dispersion between sectors and regions. Some sectors like the energy transition will be challenged. Other sectors like the financials, technology, um, or even <clears throat> traditional energy will be favored. And in terms of region, the U.S. will definitely benefit from uh, a Trump uh, election, while emerging markets and Europe might be a bit under pressure. Well, thank you very much. Um, that gets us to the end of the question. So thank you very much for joining me today, Nicola. Very welcome. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to explore more of our insights, please tune in to our Spotify channel or go to upp.com.